Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their lives. You're me up, man. me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Now, the one thing that I love about certain selections, right, is the, the times, the people that actually spend any real time in the water, right? Because the water is... You don't, we don't belong in that part of at, it. At all. Yeah. Not even a little bit. And I used to think <laughs> just because I grew up in South Florida on the water that I was going to do, I was going to breeze through it. Yeah, I had that misconception why everybody, I thought everybody in California was great at the, in the water and the, and the water was beautiful and warm. Well, I, I realize why everyone's tanned in California because nobody gets in the water because <laughs> it's so cold. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It is cold <laughs> all the time. I wasn't in the brochure. Even in the summer, <laughs> it was freezing cold, oh, man. man. Even in the summer. Well, the the guy we got coming on, the reason I brought that up, the guy we got coming on is Air Force Pararescue first, right? Before he went on to this amazing career. So was the Goggins. All- the Goggins went that route. Goggins. How long do you do in the Air Force? Uh, at least a pump, right? Right. A, An enlistment, yeah. right? Yeah. Holy, why did he choose Air Force? We'll ask Why him. not? We'll ask him. We yeah. all say going, you know why. Because they got Smart food. from the beginning. They yeah. got food and <laughs> a <laughs> bed every <laughs> damn day. <laughs> When you were at 18 Delta, did you go up to of course to eat? Of, of course, because the guys in our class, yeah, they were, they, you know, they got to stay down there. They what? Had, oh man, they each had their own little barrack deal and uh, recliner with a TV and everything. Like, and what? they drove down to. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, bro. A lot, of, a lot of them guys were smart. They had a house outside. They didn't stay at Shawshank. You know, <laughs> that's where I live. <laughs> I dwelt there. 
Oh, those were horrible. Always a cloud over yeah, the top. Yeah, always, dude. <laughs> Man. It was always muddy all uh, right? over the barracks, right? It's just like the buzz. The first phase has the phone to Mother Nature. <laughs> so they do too. They, they got an extension as well. Oh God, man! I, I want. I'm gonna hit them up on some of that stuff. Well, all right, here we go. Welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Latrell, and over here. Thank you. Pretty good. Pretty good. I know. I know. All right. (laughs) Well, listen, if this is your first time listening, man, what a hell of a show do we have to start out for you. Intense, deep, emotional, man. This stuff will get get you going, get you fired up. Why don't you do more? If you're coming back for more, you're a repeat offender, man, and God bless you. We love you so much. Thank you all for your incredible support. Uh, we just love the fact of the community that's built when you, all of you that are writing into the show, sharing your greatest never quit stories with all of us. It's just simply incredible to all of us. We feel so, so blessed. Okay. Well, when you think of the guy that's coming on here, he's not just a PJ. He's not just an agency guy. This guy is a hero. And, and, you know, I was, we were, before we got on, we're kind of batting, batting it around on how we should start, but it's, it's kind of tough to, when you're going to do a show about human trafficking, to really kind of explore humor too much, I think, because it's such a serious epidemic around the world. And man, you know, you just watch all the different uh, documentaries that are coming out. We had Tim Ballard on, of course, and, and, and I just, you know, you, you just start thinking about it and it changes your entire mood, your attitude, everything. Um, but, you know, when you think about it, when you allow yourself to say, my gosh, these people are out there day in, day out doing this, man, that's inspiring. Taking that service they signed up for in the military to you know, keeping it going. Passing the uniform off and taking the skill sets and applying them to true, you know, bad guys here. Yeah. Good, good on you. And there's plenty of them. It's one of those, it's one of those commodities that never ends, but, right? Uh, which is crazy. You think, cause you watch a movie about, say, you know, traffic or, or, um, taken and everybody walks out of there like, ah, man, they want to do something about that. Right. And then even, even the guy who's playing the badass guys who want to do that would, you know, that's the ultimate, you want to hunt something fine, hunt these dudes, man. Cause well, the psychology you're dealing with with these people is on a, a multitude of levels, right? One, you're dealing with just the person that either, uh, you know, the sexual frustration, the sexual uh, uh, um, uh, repression, whatever they're doing in order to have to go out and find prostitutes, dealing with that. You're dealing with their own abuse issues probably in their past. You're dealing with... Uh, you're dealing with pedophilia on a whole nother spectrum. And what's interesting about that, I, I had a long conversation with my psychologist and who his first gig out of, of getting his doctorate is he went into prisons and his job was to interview pedophiles. And, and he, he 100%, you know, suggests that this is an illness. This is an illness that can never be rehabilitated. And it's just no matter what they have to go, appease themselves with these underage kids and you know 
you look at the spectrum of that evil and man it is the darkest place within the human condition it's a crime unique man, I, of its own i think it's uh just particularly disgusting and disturbing oh yeah it's a special place in hell for that yeah such as rape that's another one i think but this is a massive scourge i mean um when you start looking into the figures for human trafficking or sex trafficking, which is <clears throat> the major component of that, you start running into, there's a lot of figures out there. Some of them are conflicting. There's, uh, the numbers kind of jump all over the place. And I think that speaks to the fact that this is, it's diverse, it's, uh, it's dispersed, and it is, it's kind of hard to track, and it's a massive problem. Um, <clears throat> this comes from dosomething.org. Between uh, 15 and 18,000 people are trafficked into the United States each, uh, each year. Human trafficking is the third largest international crime industry between, um, after legal drugs and arms trafficking, reportedly generating somewhere around $32 billion. The average age a teen enters the sex trade in the United States is between 12 and 14 years old, many of which are runaways. Um, trafficking involves various forms of exploitation, some of which are, are actually just involuntary servitude or, or labor, but the vast majority, they think over 80% is in prostitution or at least in compelling victims to commit sexual acts for the purpose of pornography. So I, it's, It is a scourge and a plight. Let's, let's, I, what I'd love to do is, is get Nick on and, and dig into this and to hear his never-quit story and what propelled him to want to make this fight day in and day out after he spent time as a pararescue and in the CIA. So, Wizard, give us a little background on him, please. Well, Nick, like we started out talking, um, began his career with as a pararescue in 96, did 11 years in the Air Force, then uh, <clears throat> starts working with the agency, working in intelligence operations in high-risk areas. That's not a, a generalized explanation. I don't know what is. But that is the nature of the work. In 2015, he leaves the agency and starts, uh, along with a, a team guy, Jeremy Mayhew, um, a new project of theirs, uh, their brainchild, Deliver Fund. Now, Deliver Fund, you know, we've talked about Operation Underground Railroad with Tim Ballard. Tim's been on before. Um, by the way, his book that uh, we mentioned, I think, before in a previous show, but you should check it out because it's excellent. It's called Slave Stealers. But anyways, his operation, uh, under, Underground Railroad, functions quite differently um, than Deliver Fund. Deliver Fund has, has kind of a, a unique approach to it. Now, I'm going to cherry-pick some things just off their website here because it makes it easier to describe. It focuses on eliminating the source behind the trafficking instead of primarily on the victim. Um, to quote them, the best way to actually go after this market and dismantle it is to really go after the storefront, which means the trafficker. We, what, we've, what we've really done is just taken our careers in counterterrorism and taken that methodology, all the technology, a lot of the same people, and redirected it here at home to fight sex trafficking. Now, there's two primary ways in which they run their organization. They themselves are not boots-on-the-ground type of organization like Operation Underground Railroad. They're much more, um, as in a, an agency, military-type relationship. They are intelligence providers who hand it off to local law enforcement. So the first step is that, disseminating the intelligence that they pull out to local law enforcement agencies. Now, the second thing, and this is the vast majority of where their donation dollars go to, is providing training, the very specialized training necessary for these departments 
um, as, as well as the technology, the equipment behind that, you know, buying software licensing, the hardware. Um, they also provide analytic support, you know, for like a follow-on year after that. So that's a fundamental difference between that is their approach, which I think is unique, and in, in my opinion, from everything I've seen on them, it holds equal promise um, combating you know, sexual trafficking here at home, and um, it's proven to be very successful. I think their foothold started here in Houston, and they've also worked a lot in Dallas, Fort Worth area as well. They are certainly on the rise and growing, and what I love also, too, is they've got two former TNQ podcast alumni on their board, uh, Adam LaRoche and Greg Jackson, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just, I'm super fired up. Let's, uh, let's bring Nick on. Okay, baby. Marcus, man, it's been a while since we got someone on the show that is legitimately on the front lines out there in the world bringing the fight to the enemy as we speak, man. And that gets me fired up. I'll never never forget just when we had Adam LaRoche on, one of our first guests, talking about not only his experience in baseball, but more importantly, his experience in and and getting involved in human trafficking. Oh, and Tim Ballard. Well, Tim on as well too, man. But and when you listen to these stories and you listen to the magnitude of destruction that's happening to these people, these young girls and boys' lives, man, the fact that somebody can dedicate their lives day in, day out, in the fight and not break, not have that atrocity shatter them and and their their intent you know their ability to look inside themselves and say i can i can endure this pain man that fires me up bro these are the ones that always get me like i'll just sit there the whole time just get stewing you know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i know i'm looking forward to it man we absolutely need to have guys like this we need to have guys like this on here so we can tell everybody about them absolutely all right so let's bring them on ladies and gentlemen boys and girls Mr. Nick McKinley, brother, thank you so much for coming on the show. You bet. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Help me uh, shine that bright light into some dark places. Brother, I, I, you know, (laughs) just, you know, you, you spend five seconds, like really five seconds talking to somebody who's been in those cracks and crevices, right? And, and granted, all of us in our, you know, our past lives, we were doing it, hunting down, you know, terrorists, counterterrorism, bad people. Uh, and, I just and, think about that. Who are the real, who are the real bad, bad people they need to send us after? These, know, these right? bastards. And, and, and he has that. He's doing it, man. Oh, I know he, it. You know, his, he today, right now, as we speak, his team, his team is doing something to go after these the mo- the ho- most horrible per people on the planet are the people that pre- prey on children and and br- that's why I'm just I'm blown away and man this is going to be one I know one of my favorite shows. Well, again, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And you know, without getting the without getting the word out there, without uh, you know, I never would be sitting in this position right here as the founder of Deliver Fund with running a, a team of 29 people that have dedicated their wow. lives to t- 
taking the fight to the enemy. And that, and that's the difference. And that is that, you know, that's that special ops mentality that we were, that we were raised with, uh, from the time we, we joined the military to the mentality that we're bringing to this, this fight against trafficking. There's, there's a lot of really important people doing, who are way smarter than me, way more talented than I will ever be. But there's, there's a bit of a commitment and dedication twist uh, that's enabled by faith that allows us to go directly after the source and go directly after the enemy. And, and that's what we do at Deliver Fund. So uh, this is, this is your part in helping us not fight, and I really appreciate it. Amen. You're welcome. All right. Now, let's, before we get into you know, the, the heaviness and the power of your story or stories, man, we first got to get you a little warmed up, Nick. Now, you know, as a former airsoft or, you know, air, I should say airsoft, but that was a Freudian slip. I <laughs> <laughs> this this interview is, is over. I'm my chew, man. I literally saw my chew. Airsoft wasn't real training. Oh, I know Jeremy is going to be laughing after that one. That was for you, brother. He probably but, put you up. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, hey, let's 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 think of some good stuff before. Because we- <laughs> I was looking at my questions, like, man, I don't want to ask him these because the topics are dang, dang heavy. Right. But we got to remember yeah. how the. We got to start off light, brother. That's why I thought I'd break the ice a little bit, dude. Man, all right. Before we jump in, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta limber up. Now, this isn't your traditional Mad Minute that you used to give with your preceding uh, employer, which I'm, I've been a part of some of those, which are immensely fun. This is more of a really grind down your prefrontal cortex. I mean, we're going to fire things at you now that you couldn't even possibly fathom. All right. Are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. All right, Marcus, fire away. If you could join the circus, what would you do? (laughs) That's two trapezes, man. I have a feeling that's going to be a popular answer. No, they're (laughs) missing out. They're missing out on the clown show. What would you do? Clown show? Hell Yeah. That's what makes people smile. <laughs> I just love Joe Dirt so much. I do the ring toss. Have <laughs> 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 the spray stuff. Uh, Wizard, what'd you say? You do trapeze? Uh, I do trapeze. I figured you'd want to stick your head in the lion's mouth or some crazy. Uh, I don't think I have that much faith in uh, Mother Nature. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, Actually, you have all the faith in Mother Nature if you think like that. Yeah, right, right. All right, wizard, fire away. All right, here we go. Hypothetically, you must cross Afghanistan, and you have three options for transportation and accompaniment. You must choose one of the following. A, rollerblade with Chuck Norris. (laughs) B, drive a smart car with Kim Kardashian. (laughs) Or C, take an armored personnel carrier filled with uh, three people infected with Ebola. Hmm. Whoa. And it's it's going to ha- it's going to have to be rollerblade with Chuck Norris. I mean, cause if you can't survive with Chuck Norris, like you're screwed anyway. So <laughs> you're done. Yeah. You're that, done. There, That's the only reasonable answer. Ultimate weapon than Chuck Norris. Just saying. <laughs> Actually, no. he just stands still on the rollerblades and the earth rolls <laughs> underneath him. So he's got <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris puts on rollerblades so the earth can roll. <laughs> can move around <laughs> can move, him. Can skate around. Oh, God. The earth us. can spin on its axis. <laughs> All right. If you could go back at any time in history 
and put together the most badass cell to go capture somebody and you could spend five days interrogating them before they got executed, when would it be and who? Hmm. Well, my cell would consist of me and Jesus because like, what else are you going to do? And, uh, <laughs> and at that point, like, dude, I've got Jesus on my side. Like I can do anything I want. Legit. So I'm Legit anything. and interrogate every enemy we've ever had forever. And the world's going to be a much different place. I dig it, man. I like that. Great answer. Marcus. That was a good answer. Yeah, right? Favorite movie character. I think this might want to jump into yours, though. So favorite movie character you actually like to jump in the movie and play out. Batman. Oh! That's, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Oh, one. my God. That's awesome. Because, like, you got Spider-Man back there. Okay, he, he basically won the lottery, right? What is Batman? Batman is essentially an ordinary man with access He's to rich. extraordinary resources who worked his butt off and to to become the best, right? So his superpower was dedication and work ethic. So hands down, Batman. Oh, I like it, man. I like it. I, I guess we that. know favorite superhero. Yeah. Right? yeah. All right. There you go. Go for it, bro. All right. Describe an orangutan without using the words monkey, ape, primate, or referencing the movie Any Which Way But Loose with Clint Eastwood. That is complicated. My mind just hurts. Insanely strong animal that would rip your arms off. Well, there you go. Okay. I like it. It throws a boomerang. <laughs> boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> a rang, right? Oh, oh my God. That's nice. awesome that your mind went to that, oh, actually. Oh, <laughs> God bless America on that one, Marcus. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All yeah, right. Man, I was trying to get in the moment. <laughs> what is your favorite Ryan Reynolds movie and why? Who is Ryan Reynolds? Deadpool. Deadpool. Uh, I haven't seen him. Oh, what? Hey, let me let me give you guys a little uh, a little inside Nick right here. Uh, all right. You know, you guys all have kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. A couple of you. Four girls. All right. Ooh, man, what'd you do? <laughs> blast! I got blast. Yeah, you got lots of guns though. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> So, you know that argument you have with your kids about uh, whether or not they can watch TV? Uh-huh. I never have that argument because I don't own a TV. Get the heck out of here. I'm like one of probably three people in the entire world that do not own a TV and do not live in Afghanistan. Uh, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know, even know. I haven't, I, haven't yes. owned a, yeah. I haven't owned a TV for over a decade. Yeah, How yeah. How is that possible? Uh, oh my God! Really that way to find out who your real friends are. Oh, it, right! You are not kidding. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Like nobody will come over to your house for anything, right? Like so when my crew comes over, we go outside. We, you know, we go do everything. That's how you can tell if somebody comes in to sit down and watch. <laughs> Don't talk to you. Like, All right, cool, man. Good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, Marcus. Fire away. Uh, what was the first thing, first thought that ran through your head when you woke up this morning? Uh, I feel like crap. So, Uh-oh. yeah, I got I got some type of crud. I'll try not to give it to you guys through the uh, through the interwebs here, but uh, but yeah. Oh, so it's a good one. <laughs> wow. All right, so you're sick and on the show. That's dedication, right yeah, there. That's Batman. All right, Wizard. Last question. Fire away, bud. Give us one world location you'd like to visit again, and why, and one you'll be glad never to see again. Mm. So. I would actually like to go back to Pakistan because uh, I've got some unfinished business. 
Uh, and mm -hmm. a place I would never like to go back to again. Uh, ooh, man, there's so many. Is Pakistan because I, <laughs> because I finished my business. Yeah, I would say exactly. Never, never go back to Pakistan again after, uh, after we, you know, we, uh, we clean up that loose end. Oh my God. I hate that place. Oh dude. Okay. Ugh. All right. So that is the mad. What do we got? Wizard. That was, uh, that was, uh, 22 minutes. You're lying now. You're just making up numbers, aren't you? Look at Marcus's face. Marcus was like, like really? Huh? No. He's like, my damn watch ain't working again. I can't. You got to start lying to us, wizard. It was the boom yeah. ring. It, it it's just to protect boom. you. That 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 put us, that stretched out the space-time. <clears throat> yeah, right. Yeah. Bent it. Yeah. That, your joke just bent the space-time. <laughs> it, just, it just brought the space-time <laughs> continuum right back to <laughs> Right, right. The loop. We're in the loop. We're in the OODA loop. Shit. We're, right. in, we're in it now, boys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Nick. We we appreciate the fact that you're uh, you're able to have some fun with us. We do, but obviously, people are not going to tune into this show specifically for our comedy routine. When in fact, we believe wholeheartedly that people come to the Team Never Quit podcast because they're. They're trapped in their own combat of life, and they're struggling to find something to grasp onto, something to ignite the, the fire in their gut to be able to endure, but not just endure, to uh, persevere, to, to grind through the hardship, and to live life fully with that never-quit mindset. So, without further ado, would you please share your greatest never-quit story or stories with our listeners sure uh well so everybody would think with my background it would be something you know coming out of the you know pararescue selection or you know like oh never quit when the water's cold and you're drown proofing or whatever the case may be but it's not it actually started uh when i was coming back from lashkar to afghanistan hate that place oh dude yeah that place is not good either um still better <laughs> in pakistan though it, right. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, so I'm coming back from Lashkar to Afghanistan, and I have a bunch of I have a bunch of text messages from my bank saying that all my bills are overdrawn, my accounts overdrawn. I have no money. Now, keep in wow. mind, I just got home. Right, staffer at the agency. I'm making the you know that that's where I am. Make major majority of my money is when I'm deployed, and I I just got back from a deployment, and I have no money. Well, that's weird. Oh no! And then I see are you married my, soon to be divorced? My uh, my email <laughs> that there are there's a uh, email from an attorney, a divorce attorney, uh, with divorce papers in my inbox, and oh, no. a restraining order, a temporary restraining order. Because keep in mind, I am a trained killer in the system. Yeah, oh, yeah. Really hates people like me. Um. You know, conservative Christian from Montana, Eagle Scout, highest security clearance you can get in the world. But, but hey, I'm the bad guy. You're dangerous. Uh, mm -hmm. Yep. So that proceeded into me immediately jumping on a plane because I found out that my now ex-wife uh, was no longer in the apartment with my child, clearly. Um, and she even took the ice cube a, trays. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. She even took <laughs> she, the ice cube tray. She took the ice cube tray. <laughs> tray. Salt and pepper shakers, everything, right? <laughs> so I get, I, get, uh, I get on a plane, 
go to where her parents live. And then I don't get to see my son for nine months. Are you kidding while, me? While I then go to court and the judge tells me I actually have to pay my ex-wife more than I make. And when my attorney pointed out that, um, excuse me, your honor, uh, he actually doesn't even make that much. The judge says, and I quote, sounds like a cash flow problem. You'll get it figured out. Sure. So here I am. Oh like, my can, God. Can you like, can you get to a bigger low when you literally just had, I mean, I had to, I had to borrow money from my parents to get groceries. Um, and here's seven years later, here I am in the midst of all that. I've got joint custody of my son. Awesome, so that brother. Only happened because for a seven year period, of what made selection processes and cold water and swimming with your hands and feet tied and see like a cakewalk. Um, and I would even say that maybe I wouldn't have, have pursued it as, as vigorously as I did in that, in that time frame, God gave me the bandwidth. I still don't know how the heck I did it, but he gave me the bandwidth to can built deliver fund and manage to uh, fight the custody battle for my son and get out of debt. 180k in uh, in attorney's fees all at the same time. Bless your heart, brother. So that bless your heart story. It's easy to make it through selections. It's hard to grind for seven years into doing the hard right thing, brother. I I feel your pain. I went through uh, a similar experience a couple years ago. Uh, unfortunately for me, I didn't have the custody battle. Uh, I can't even dream of what that must have done, um, to you, your son. And, but, uh, it sounds like you've reco- recovered impeccably. Um, not, not only, not only have I recovered, but God has blessed thrived. me in a, in a, that I'm in a significantly better position I was in when the whole thing even started. And I was in a darn good position when the whole thing started. You know what? That's a great. That's a great point. So the question to start off on all this is: you going through all those trials and tribulations beforehand, at whether Eagle Scout uh, selection prepares you for this emotional never quit moment, like nothing you've ever dreamed would ever happen. Tell us how we take, or in your mind, people can take their past failures, their past struggles, and utilize them for that next coming storm. Are they are are your your failures, even if they're things that are done to you, right? Obviously, you know, my family falling apart, you know, I'm a guy who really liked to be deployed, uh, love to be deployed. So I was deployed a lot. So obviously I had a little bit of uh little bit of a hand in that, but, but that was something that was done to me. It's no different than getting your hands and feet tied and being told to drown proof, you know, in freezing water. That is something that is done to you. Is that a limitation or is that a motivation? Right. Is that something that you see, you you find both those out in that moment. That's what those are. Those are those defining moments we have, right? Going one way or the other. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 You know, either I, uh, define you or you'll define the moment meaning you'll either drown or you won't 
Because it's just you in the water and you can't talk your way. You're, you're talking about a situation you can't talk your way out of. Ain't nobody well, listening. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? totally, like the, totally. the, the, the die is cast, man. You jumped right in. <laughs> and our frame is not in it. You right. know what I'm talking about? Right. We're going through the man. All right, drill proving. You, Brought back. Uh, uh, when, you, <laughs> when you take somebody's air away, right? Uh, that, that's one of the great things about water based selection processes, right? Like, like yep. uh, you guys go through, you know, PJs go through. I know there's other people who do, I don't know them all. Uh, but, but the great thing about water-based selection processes, is it's like, Oh, you're a really fast runner. That's awesome. Get in the pool. Right. Oh, you're, yep. you're a, uh, you're really strong. That's awesome. Get in the pool. Oh, you're really smart. Awesome. Get in the pool. Right. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great equalizer. And in many ways, you know, get, getting your air taken away from you. And now you have to override your survival mindset for the purposes of mission accomplishment. and. The, the mission at that moment is, you know, survive the next however many minutes it was, you, did, you know, bob up and down and swim and, and all that, all that, right? Uh, recover your mask off the bottom of the pool. I mean, that's the mission at that time. And you either execute it with a standard of excellence or you don't. It's binary. There is no in between, right? And it's very, very black and white. And it's the same thing when you end up in a custody fight like I did. I end up in a in a, a court full of incredibly liberal judges who hate people like me and and think that I'm the reason that the world is the way that it is and that is something I don't have control over. So it's like take getting my oxygen taken away. So either I am going to continue to grind and execute with a standard of excellence to the point that I can accomplish my mission which at this point was to get joint custody of my son or I am not. It's binary. And, and if I am going to say, well, you know, the system is against me. System doesn't like me. This judge doesn't like me. Uh, you know, uh, there's no morality in family court. (laughs) No, my, my survival instinct was Nick, you're fast burning at the agency. You got promoted seven months into the next GS grade. You know, you're, you're doing all these things. You got this great retirement. It's just a little ways, little ways down the road. And let me get this straight. You're going to leave all of that to go fight human trafficking because of something that happened to you overseas. You don't know anything about running a nonprofit, anything along those lines. Oh, and by the way, bro, you got bills to pay. Those attorney <laughs> bills just keep coming in and you don't want to go to attorney self or, or go to court, you know, self-representing. So right. what are you going to do? And, and so, so the, the, the self-preservation model there was very much, well, you know, nobody in the world would have faulted me for walking away from my kid. Nobody. Everybody would have said, man, you got it hard. But by not quitting and sticking with it day in and day out, even when it seemed like it was absolutely, completely hopeless, right? Hope is having a wish that there's evidence that it will actually come true. And, and even seeing that there was, it was completely hopeless, just getting on my knees, praying my way through it and just, just grinding through. And, and, and here I am again in a significantly better position than I was when that plane first landed. I love it. All in bad times, like going through selection in the beginning, right? I mean, because yeah. you don't know anybody. It's every kind of every man for himself. Oh, yeah. Put back right in, in there, the, having made it through all that. 
getting thrown in a situation like that, which, hey, man, I haven't had to go through it, but I've, my buddies have. And I'm so, sorry, you know, hell hath no fury. Yeah. I think there's a reason why that term exists. So, yes, there is. Having, having to get in and go through selection by yourself is tough. Even because you know, after after a while, at least you got somebody to look at who's suffering with you. When everyone's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, does this suck? Yeah, it sucks. Okay, yeah. I thought it sucked. <laughs> yeah, but if, when you're the only one in there with that stupid face, like frame of, it's yeah. it's tough, right? Because you're used right. to having the frame of reference, right? And yeah. when I think that's the worst part when guys have to go through that is because you have to go. Th- we can't back you up, you know. We can't go in there and <laughs> like we normally do, like we're trained to do, uh, right or wrong. You got to sit there and. You have to f- come up with a different strategy. strategy yeah, it's, it's, All right, let's let's back up. Let's back up. One of the things that I get asked, I know Marcus gets asked, I'm sure you get asked every time when you're out there speaking and you're talking about these experiences, everybody wants to know, are guys or girls born with this? Are they born with it? And I, I, I believe everybody innately has some type of fire that's burning in their gut. It's through their cultural indoc and their experiences on whether or not that fire is going to burn bright. Where in your life, in your childhood, did that fire get stoked to begin going down this pathway where you were going to cultivate this never quit mindset on this epic journey you've been on? You know, there's been a lot of talk in the media lately about privilege, right? White privilege privilege of the wealthy, all that. I, I, I don't actually think any of that exists. I think the ultimate privilege is good parents. That's the ultimate yeah. privilege. And that's what I had. I had phenomenal parents. I was actually adopted by uh, parents were killed when I was very, very young in, in a car crash. And I was put into a foster care. Uh, you know, and actually, this is actually the first time publicly I've talked about this. Nobody actually wow. knows this guy. So like, hey, good job. You guys are dragging that out of me. <laughs> but, we're not uh, intentional, yeah. but if you want to talk about no, it no, man that's... no it's it's great because it's a it's a good story it's a good story uh you know um you know life tragedy really young way too young to understand what was happening put into the foster care slash orphan system uh grandparents tried to get custody of me back then in the 70s early 80s they said that they were way too young or i'm sorry way too old uh to take care of me so off I went. They had no idea where I was. And I ended up oh getting my. just total hand of God. I ended up getting adopted by the, uh, I mean, I'll say arguably some of the best parents in the world. Now, wow. now I had two ways I could look at that as a kid. I could look at that as, wow, they chose me. Or I could look at that as, whoa, poor is me. You know, my parents died when I was little, you know. And, and so really, you know, it's like I tell my son, you've got You've got, you know, there, there's this whole concept of the sheepdog, and and I yep. think that 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 is a, it's a valid concept to an, to an extent, but but has limitations. That, absolutely, and there are things that we learned in this war, which was if you send a sheepdog after a wolf, that sheepdog is going to get slaughtered, right? It's just that. So we we as the warriors of the current generation, we are wolves. We have a different moral and ethical compass, but make no mistake about it. We are wolves. And I tell my son, I say, you know, son, there are, there's a white wolf and a black wolf in your head, right? There's a, there's a a good wolf and an evil wolf in your head. And you know, which one, uh, which one wins the fight? You know, my son's name is Nico. You know, which one wins the fight, Nico? He's like, which one? I was like, the one you feed. The one you feed. 
is the one that wins. So you've got a negative wolf and a positive wolf. You've got a good wolf and an evil wolf. You've got, you know, you, you can, whatever, whatever your current circumstances are that, that create that paradigm, the one that's going to win is going to be the one that you feed. And, and it's so easy. You know, we like to hold on to our misery and just stroke it. Yeah, we do. Like, Oh yeah. Look at what happened to me. It's a story to tell. You know, and, and, and we run into that in the human trafficking space a lot. We have, uh, Marcus has been to one of our fundraisers before. We don't go in with this, woe is me. Can you believe this horrible stuff is happening? We clearly, we educate the, the crowd as to what's happening. But then we say, you know what? But there's hope because, because the warriors have been unleashed. And, and now our, our weapons aren't guns. That's for the cops, right? We're not rogue vigilantes. Um, our weapons are keyboards. And that's what we do. And we hunt these guys down and, and we make sure that they are brought to justice at scale. Why? Because we're feeding the good wolf. That's why. Amen. I love it. All right. Now, th- this, I think this is the perfect segue into you, had, you were talking about an experience that you had downrange that awoke in you, that, that stoked that fire, that 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 started feeding that that white wolf and what can you describe what that was and how deliver fun was born and and what what was the reason why you're like i'm gonna give up this incredible career at the agency i'm gonna move away and i'm gonna go after this horrific seemingly never-ending cycle of evil Explain that to us. I found where the path split in the woods. That's what happened. Come on. Nobody yeah. knows where that is, Nick. <laughs> I found <laughs> it. So I'm in Lashkar Gah, um, and I'm the, the team leader for my, you know, for my team in Lashkar Gah, And we were going after some really, really bad dudes. And we got some, some footage of a, uh, of a guy who was making bombs, who was testing his bombs uh, on little kids uh, because oh he wanted God. to make sure that they were sensitive enough to even go off with little kid. I mean, you guys have been over there, you know the deal. Yep. So we found out that this child had been sold on the AFPAC border and, and came in. And uh, so we're talking to this guy, bad guy, and we're actually, he, he's, he's a bad guy, but he's a smart bad guy. And, and you know how some of these guys were just like, they're just the, the dumb guy who got five bucks and picked up a rifle and that's that. But some of them, like you could feel the evil emanate off of these people, right? Yep. He's one of those guys. And wow. we sat there and had what was a relatively coherent conversation. Uh, Cause he spoke decent English. He was well-educated. Uh, and we had a a relatively coherent conversation about why it was perfectly okay to own a child because he had purchased that child and that child was his property. And that was the very first time. I mean, you guys know you can't work in the counterterrorism, counter narcotics world and not bump into human trafficking. You just always assume somebody's got it. Right. So you guys, I mean, you guys were seals, you know, people who were the pointiest of the pointy end of, of the spear. How many of them ever done a, a human trafficking mission? Not many. How many human trafficking missions have you guys done? None. Don't you think that's a problem? Yes. And that's what I that's what I found out when I was in Lashkar Gah. It was me and a um, 
uh, let's say my uh, JSOC equivalent. Yeah. And we were the only guys with, uh, you know, with land access. And so we're trying to push this information that we got about what was a, a child trafficking ring running kids from Pakistan and selling them into Afghanistan to the Haqqanis and the, you know, and, and all those folks. Right. And who was there to do anything about it? Nobody. There's nobody to do anything about it. And that's, that was really, you know, that, that's a the really short short version of the story because we looked for months for months who do we give this to surely somebody wants it who do we pass the ball to couldn't find anybody to pass the ball to and that made me curious and now the buzzkill came out so i started <laughs> searching and i started looking everywhere i could and the cool thing about having the highest security clearance you can possibly get and access to those systems there's nothing that's off limits to you. Right. Like you can you can reach down anywhere you need. You can, especially in in the in theater, you can reach into anything you want. And I couldn't find who had the ball. And and that was the epiphany that I said, I gotta do something about this. Now, the original thing that I was gonna do looked very different than what we're doing today because we learned and we pivoted, but it still doesn't change the fact that Deliver Fund uh, got its name in Lashkargah, Afghanistan, a few days before I left that deployment to come home to find the rug pulled out from underneath me. Uh, but it, it got its name, you know, in, in a pod in Lashkargah because it was at that moment I said, "Well, if nobody's doing anything, then I'm going to go do something." And here we are. Here we are. Wow. What what a change, man. It's those, you know, it's it's God coming down and kind of flicking you on the forehead saying, hey, knucklehead, your mission is not this. This is your mission. This also, is what I want you to about do. Earlier is that when, when I was in Ramadi, when we were doing write-ups, it's funny because we were going after him for something else, but it always had that written in there. If those guys did that, like child, whatever, this, that, and the other. But it, I never briefed it like that. I, I don't yep. know why. I, I mean, it was in there, but we didn't focus on it. I guess because it would turn all our guys into. I mean, no, no, we wouldn't bring any of them back. You know. Well, I always, I always. You know what I mean? I, I, I got to <laughs> well, I, I know. Well, wait. I know. We turned that guy, that guy loose in Lashkar guy. We turned him loose because you know the system is what it is. Yeah. Uh, there was a, um, shall we say, a, uh, a difference of opinion in the White House at the time, and. Uh, and we turned that dude loose and watched him walk away. And and it was always the child trafficking was always like this guy's making bombs. Oh, and he's selling kids too. Yeah, uh, yeah, this guy is this guy's running poppy, you know, all, all over the place. Oh yeah, and he's selling kids too, right? Uh, this guy's running a brothel in downtown Baghdad, and they've got children in there. Uh, but don't touch him because he's a uh, he's a good source for this. Yeah, exactly. Here, right. right? So yeah, where are the bad guys go in there and. I, one of the things I, I, I that always drove me nuts how they're so able to keep everything siloed, right? You know, they keep these 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 lines of information siloed because there's a different geopolitical tack. You know, there's a geopolitical right, right. reasoning behind it, and that okay, I get it. So let me ask you this: now, after you say you're inspired, right? You're like, oh my god. There is no one carrying this ball with something that is truly global on every level. Hey, you think the UN would have a special forces unit that 
now you ain't guys special forces to spend money that's about it so and so you come back to the states and and obviously now it how how long did it take you to discover the problem we had here and then how long did it take you to pivot and say well i'm just gonna I'm I'm not gonna I don't need to go to Pakistan or Afghanistan or Southeast Asia or Central South America. Man, it's right here within our borders and now I'm gonna this is where the fight is. Why why did that happen well, for you? So it took me three years. Um and I can go all the way back pre agency days when I got out of pararescue. I did some uh private personal recovery, really fancy way of saying getting really rich guys out of yep. you know uh, out of situations for making really stupid decisions. Yep. Um, uh, usually involving women and alcohol. Uh, so, you know, I was doing kidnap and ransom work and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I bumped into child, uh, child sex trafficking in Mexico doing that. And then I go to the agency don't, you know, but I was working with the FBI before I went to the agency on that, on that particular Mexican case. So I just figured, Oh, the FBI's got it. Yep. Right. Well, Fast forward, you know, I'm working for this for, for three years and my goal was to stay at the agency for another year before I left, but I, I'm in Pakistan and I'm the U.S. rep on the uh, the hostage working group for, you know, my employer. And usually it's, you know, some some do-gooder decided they were going to ride their bike across, that, across <laughs> Afghanistan to prove that these people are really, really, you know, they nice. love us. They don't hate us. And, and they get taken hostage and we're like, hey, you know what? Um, stupid should hurt. Uh, you play stupid games, you're going to win stupid prizes. But one day, hold on, I I just, about- uh, Nick, let me just interject. And I just want to make a real quick comment. Uh, and I po- apologize for cutting you off. Today is the anniversary of Nick Check's death, who died on oh. a rescue mission. He was at Dev Group at Red Team. And I just uh, want to give a shout out to all his teammates that were there. Uh, and his family, and just in remembrance of Nick. So I, I'm sorry to cut you off, you, but brother. that just remember, you know, he would. They were out rescuing that doctor in in Afghanistan. So sorry, brother. I just wanted to say that. No, and and I appreciate that because that'll help people kind of understand my mindset. Where normally I wasn't going to put my team at risk to go do anything around somebody who was just doing something stupid because we lost too many people in Afghanistan. Bunch of seals bunch of SF guys, you know, going after people who were essentially traitors to the country, deserters, things like that. And so I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my men at risk because that's not what they signed up for, right? They signed up to protect the flag, mom, Chevrolet and apple pie. They didn't sign up to put themselves at risk because people were doing stupid things. But one day they start talking about two little girls from North Carolina. Uh, I mean, Red hair, green eyes, uh, pasty white, uh, American citizens. Their father was a dual Pakistani U.S. citizen, and he had his visitation weekend because uh, the parents were divorced. He threw them on a plane and took them to Pakistan, and we're pretty sure that he sold them to his uncle. Oh. Now, U.S. girls do not get taken to Pakistan to spend their time behind sewing machines, right? Right. And, and we won't. I mean, you know, you know the direction that goes, and yep. so. You know, I've got this uh, this JSOC guy sitting next to me, and we were like, "Bro, like, let's just, well, we'll just send some guys, right?" It's it's a it was a four hour drive away where these girls were. Like, we'll go collect on it. We'll figure out exactly what's going on. We'll come back and report. Super easy. 
no, 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 you can't do that. That's in the, that's, uh, you know, violation of executive order one, two, three, three, three. Those girls are us citizens. You know, the dad is a dual sit. I'm like, okay, we got FBI guy. You go do it. Oh, I don't have the right training or all that. Cool. I got all the guys who will take you. No problem. I got half million dollar vehicles. Like, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Right. And I sat there and watched the most powerful military, economic, and intelligence might the world has ever seen talk itself out of helping two of its own children wow. that God. had been that had been taken overseas. And so I said that like literally that was the moment right there to the second when that meeting adjourned, nobody had any orders. And those kids were just going to be left on their own that I, I came home. I uh, went in and saw my supervisor. I said, hey, uh, I know I've committed to the next deployment. I know I've committed the next couple of years, but I just want you to know I'm not going to leave you hanging. I will do the next deployment. And after that, I'm out. And they said, why? What'd you do? Who offered you a job? Yeah, right? That's right. always the thing. That yeah. I'm like, like yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go start a nonprofit. They were like, you're dumb. There's no <laughs> way you're actually going to do this. I get back from Pakistan. My uh, my last trip was my 30th uh, combat combat tour. Wow. And uh, yeah, I, I walked in and dumped all my stuff on my supervisor's desk and, you know, said, all right, man, I'm out. And they were like, oh, my gosh, you're really leaving. And uh, and never, uh, never looked back, never looked back. And and that is that commitment and dedication. It's what I call burning the boats. Burning Give yourself boats. no choice but to succeed. Wow. Right? When uh when mm-hmm. the uh when the Spanish were coming uh, to the US yeah, that's right. That's how they stayed. Not, not the US, but coming to, to South America, they knew when they got to the New World that if they gave their men a way out, they wouldn't fight as hard. So they literally burned the boats. Wow. So they had no choice but to fight. And you know, for the first uh for the first like six months until the publication review board approved me to say that I worked at the agency and I was part of a full spectrum intelligence unit and blah, blah, blah. Until, you know, that, that six week was supposed to be a six week process took six months. Uh, as soon as, as soon as I got that, that letter saying, here's what you're allowed to say, Nick, I, that was a choice. Cause I knew if I went public with my background, I would never be able to go never. back. And it's knowing that you can go back to super cush gig, yep. big paycheck. It's knowing that you can that keeps you from committing fully. And so I immediately went on to LinkedIn and identified myself as a former CIA special agent so that it was done. I burnt the boats and probably one of the best things I've ever done. That is awesome, man. It's funny, man. The government kind of runs on the same timeline as the Bible. Like one day in the life of an employee is a year to get anything done through the paperwork. That's crazy. Uh, All right. Can you, what I'd like to do now is, is we don't often do, um, but would you, would it be possible for you to help our listeners to paint a, a never quit story of someone your organization has helped? Uh, a young woman, uh, you know, yeah, paint us a great never quit story so we can begin to flush out the, the direct results of what it is you and your organization are doing. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to, and there's so many, but there's, there's one, there's one key story 
And, you know, a lot of people are going to want to know why Deliver Fund is focused on the United States and not overseas. The big reason why is because human trafficking happens here. You got daughters, you want to keep them from being trafficked. You've got sons, you want to keep them from being trafficked, you eliminate the trafficker. It's the common denominator in the equation. If you do not have a human trafficker, you cannot have human trafficking victims, period. Period. And, you know, the, the Bible says, uh, Matthew 7, 5, that, you know, cast out the beam in your own eye before you start talking about the speck in your brother's eye. Well, that's what we do in the United States. We go, oh, Thailand, they got a real trafficking problem. You know, Cambodia, whew, big trafficking problem. And we want to waste resources because it costs lots of money to put lots of people on airplanes where I figured, you know, if we can equip, train and advise Indige overseas, where if you get somebody with a sixth grade education, like congratulations, that's the commander. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. So, so if we can do that overseas to devastating effect against the enemy, how much more successful could we be over here? We could equip, train and advise our own indige, which are the law enforcement officers who are educated, motivated. We understand their language. We understand their culture and how much more effective could we be? So that's what we did. And this is what that looks like. Uh, We think some of the best human trafficking detectives, and I'm not saying they are the best because there's great law enforcement officers around, around the country working this issue. But some of the best that we've seen, the most organized, the most well-funded are in Houston, Texas. Wow. Uh, they have a phenomenal unit and they, they, are, they are just a straight wrecking ball against human trafficking. But even they were taking, on, on their estimate, it was about 21 days to build a human trafficking case. Wow. Now, they're very well-funded, but many law enforcement officers will tell you 21 days is actually really fast. We've reduced that time down to six hours. What? So that allows them, yeah, that's that's the magic of the computers, right? Right. So that allows them to do human trafficking cases at scale, and speed is really important. So we had a trafficker, uh, the Desert Southwest, a lot of trafficking happening there, and this trafficker uh, had one of the girls try to escape. Uh, he had uh, that we know of four girls, uh, but we actually think there might have been more. He's not exactly, you know, telling us. Right, right. Uh, so one of the girls tried to escape. Uh, so he took her up to a park in the mountains, put a bullet in her head, left oh. her body there as a as a warning to the other girls. And one of the girls realized that it was just a matter of time before she was before she was going to be in the same situation. And so she escaped and we ended up finding her trafficker and putting him, uh, putting him in jail. He's currently serving, uh, I think three life sentences. That is, uh, awesome. But, that is awesome. But here's why we were able to do that. Law enforcement, when we started working with them on this case, he was already on our radar. At Deliver Fund, we have the largest database of human trafficking data points in existence. Wow. And we have multiple, multiple corporate partners who built artificial intelligence algorithms that, that crawl through this data looking for connections. So this guy was already in, he was already in our target deck. We just didn't even know it. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's the beauty of, again, these, these artificial intelligence programs. So uh, this one specifically was one that, that maps 
different data points. Mm-hmm. So it'll 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 map a phone number to an address to a Instagram account, uh, right? Uh, phenomenal. It's run by a phenomenal company called Caseware. Uh, they're one of our one of our biggest uh, biggest corporate partners. So we already had all this guy's data in there. Uh, so law enforcement brings the girl to us and asks for help. And we start talking to her and we, we start getting, getting the data and we find out that she was actually abducted outside of a fast food restaurant. No. Uh, and was then, uh, put through a process of what traffickers call seasoning. Uh, you can use your, uh, imagination and it'll go that dark to see what that is. And then he was keeping her in a dog crate and force feeding her cocaine. Uh, between between customers, and that's what he was doing. A brutal, brutal, Jesus. brutal person. I mean, sheer evil. I would even go so far as to say probably demonic. Uh, that you could do that to another human being. Wow. And from the time he had been operating, he's in his mid thirties uh, from Memphis, Tennessee, and he'd been operating for uh, really. I mean, it's, it's all he'd ever done. Uh, he admitted as much to the cops when uh, when they arrested him. It's all he had ever done was be a trafficker. His dad was a trafficker before that. And so here he is in his late oh. 30s, and he's just now being caught. Oh. Well, law enforcement had no idea who he was, and the girl had no idea who he was. Mo- many times, the girls have no idea who these traffickers are. They know what they look like. And the trafficker makes them call him daddy, king, something along those lines. But they have no idea who these guys are. And based on the data that we had been, that we had already been collecting, working with law enforcement across the country, we already had this guy dead to rights. We had everything already in there. All we had to do was piece it together. Uh, 27 days later, a SWAT team kicked his front door and took him, uh, took him to jail. Why did the SWAT team kick his front door? Well, they had just come off another hit and they needed to know where this guy was. And because we've got some really cool cyber uh, tools, we were able to tell them he's right here right now. Wow. And kicked his front door. And, and that guy, that guy is no longer free to prey on innocent people. But more importantly, he also, the, the, the girls that he had, they know that this guy's locked up for the rest of his life. So they now have the space that they need to heal. heal. They, know, they don't Amen. need to look over the shoulder. They don't need to wonder whether or not this guy's going to show up at their front door. And because the electronic evidence trail that we, uh, that we provided as a tip, we obviously as a private organization, we can't provide evidence, but we can provide darn good probable cause. Right. Uh, he, the trail made it such so that he pled uh, because there was no way he was going to be found anything except for guilty, which meant that the girl did not have to testify or any of the girls. Right. They didn't testify to relive that trauma on the stand oh, because man. we take these girls who've been through the worst types of trauma, are addicted to narcotics, not by their own choosing most of the time. Yep. And then we put them on the stand against a Harvard trained defense attorney and we expect them to hold their own. Yeah. So we we work to just eliminate them from the equation, make it so that the trafficker has no choice but to plead. And that's why even with the cases that have gone to court for Deliver Fund, we're sitting on top of a 100 percent conviction rate on every case that Deliver Fund has been involved oh, in. Wow. Awesome. Brother. Yeah, that's impressive. It's just that a matter of time awesome. before the prosecutor screws that up. But uh, Yeah, right. <laughs> 
But oh, right now, we'll take it. Look, I, I, as a as a father of four girls, I, first thing that's in my mind, and I and I understand a lot of this just from be, knowing guys like you out there doing this sort of thing. But for our listeners who can't even fathom the fact that this is going on in the United States, explain the targeting process. Explain how they take, you know, the they identify the girls, how they they target them, how they bring them in, and then the transition. Can you just touch on that a little bit so parents then can get, what do I need to look for? What do I need to be aware of? What do I need to monitor to really prevent this kind of thing from happening to, you know, any, any person in America, really. The biggest thing is to tell, especially teenage girls, that if it's too good to be true, it is. That's, that's it. Wow. Because, I mean, I was raised with three sisters, so I can, they'll, they'll hate me for saying this, but, uh, uh, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, the easiest people to manipulate in the world are teenage girls. Right. And boys especially boys who are a few years older, uh, maybe 18-year-old boy manipulating a 16-year-old girl. I mean, go to any high school in America and you see that happening. And so you get a girl who is uh, who's mad at her parents, runs away uh, at the wrong party, any of those things, and, and she is a target. And so it, it would be great if it was so easy to just say, look, if you do these things, we wouldn't have any more human trafficking. It's not that easy. It's everything from this girl uh, that I was talking about was being kept in a dog crate. I mean, can you imagine no. being kept in a dog crate? I mean, I have a crate for my dog and it doesn't even have a door on it, right? And this, and this girl is being kept locked in a dog crate. And the pictures that we found that he was using to advertise her on the internet, she was clearly unconscious, clearly unconscious. So she has no idea what's happening when she's being knocked unconscious, uh, either through narcotics or physical violence. And th- there's no way to really protect against that, the exception of parenting. Wow. You know what they all, all these girls that we've worked with, for the most part, uh, have in common? Checked out parents. Wow. That's what they have in common. And, and of the mom and the dad, you know who has the biggest culpability the fathers father right and so the best thing that you can do is be a good father to the extent that you can nobody's perfect god will fill in the gaps where we where we fall short but to to never ever ever quit doing our absolute best and progressing and being a good father especially to girls and uh not only, and that's not just nick's opinion i mean you look yeah. you you look at any uh, child psychology study yep. on the relationship between fathers and daughters and modeling what is what is good, what, what is a, a good male model, right? What is a good uh, male relationship, uh, a secure male attachment, that's what those girls need. Because if they don't have it, and then I'll also, uh, I, I assume you guys don't... Uh, uh, are okay with me, me talking about God here. Yeah. Um, but also many of those girls are just trying to fill that God sized hole in their heart and nothing fills it. So, so you take away, you take away a role model as a dad, right? You, you know, checked out dad, checked out parents. Uh, and then 
no spirituality. And it's amazing that more girls don't get trafficked, actually. Wow. Hmm. What are some of the statistics, before we wrap it up here, what are some of the statistics that uh, are out there that, are, are, that you've seen since you've been in it in terms of increases, the areas in the United States, the amount of traffickers? What are, what are, you, what are we looking at right now, the current statistics? So uh, trafficking is, is migratory and it, it moves around the United States based on who's paying attention at that time. So I happen to know that Homeland Security leadership right now is, is wants to get away from focusing on domestic sex trafficking and they want to start focusing only on international. And that's the wrong answer. So if you know politicians and you're listening to this podcast, go tell your congressman, go tell your governor, go tell whoever will listen to, to tell the president that domestic sex trafficking is where we need to be focusing the major majority of our of our resources. Uh, but it's migratory. It, it, it moves around the country. So the Super Bowl is going to be in Atlanta. Right. Uh, it, that's we're going to have a, a major spike in in sex trafficking there. The reality is there really aren't good statistics and nobody really knows. The one that I think paints the best picture comes from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And they reported that in a five-year period, they had an 846% increase in child sex trafficking tips coming into their cyber tip line. Wow. So think about that. An 846% increase because everyone's got the internet. And when these crimes used to happen out on the street, then it was easy for cops to find them. But when the crimes are happening behind closed doors, cops can't find these girls. And it just makes it easier for it to just continue in the darkness. And, uh, the, and let me give you an example. There, is, there was a website called Backpage.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the big box store of human trafficking. I mean, it, it just really was. And and it was taken down for money laundering uh, and and sex trafficking and many, many different charges. Uh, we, along with a group of, of many people, helped with that effort. And and they were they were the really the heart of darkness for child sex trafficking happening on the Internet. They made the transaction between the customer and the, the, the seller very, very easy. So you take them out, which, by the way, uh, Deliver Fund, uh, we're moving our headquarters to Dallas, and we're actually we're actually moving into their headquarters. <laughs> launch wars against our enemies from their houses. I love it, uh, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, as uh, as Jeremy likes to say, as Jeremy Mayhew likes to say, we uh, you know we build our empire on the skulls of our enemies. So <laughs> team guy, <laughs> team guy, <laughs> Jerry, right, right. team guy. That's that's what we're doing. So um, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> we take down. Yeah, exactly. We help uh, we help take down Backpage.com. You know, many many people involved. DOJ did a phenomenal job, but money laundering. I mean, that's what they do. They're really good at it. And then all of a sudden, all the advertisements dropped off the internet. Well, the advertisements are back up. In fact, there actually there's actually more advertisements now than there was before taking Backpage.com down. So people will say, "Oh, well that that actually that didn't do any good." Oh, I beg to differ. Look at the actual data. Advertisements are up, 
but transactions are down. So the bad guys are making less money. And nobody traffics human beings for ideological purposes. They do it for money. So that's what we need to go after. We need to take a market risk approach to tearing apart the human trafficking market and causing as much chaos as we can, making it so that traffickers can't target girls on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or LinkedIn even, we found, uh, making it so that uh, traffickers can't open bank accounts. They can't rent hotel rooms. If I have my way, they won't be able to buy groceries. Awesome. I mean, we are going to make them the pariahs of society by going after them, specifically targeting them and creating mass chaos within their market so they can't make money. They can't mitigate the risk because they can't mitigate us coming after them. They right. just can't do it. Hmm. If they touch the internet, we've got them. And the thing about human trafficking in the modern, you know, in the in the modern uh, the modern parlance of America is that the traffickers have a choice. They sell the girls on the street. The cops can find the girl. They can rescue the girl. Get her to flip on the trafficker. Arrest the trafficker. We win. Or they can sell the girl on the internet, which gives us the biggest footprint we need. Which means we can tell the cops where they're at which means the cops can go arrest them, put them in prison, we win. So it's a Hobson's choice for the trafficker. They, w whatever choice they make, they lose. And that's what is important, right? We had military age males with shovels on the side of the road in Afghanistan. Well, pretty soon word got out that that's a really bad idea, <laughs> right? So we, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> right? We, uh, we, you know, people were buying fertilizer in, in, in Iraq in mass quantities. Pretty soon word got out on the street that that's a really bad idea. So we started <laughs> going after the actual market. Right. And we are taking the exact same approach at Deliver Fund and going after the market. All forms, arresting the trafficker is just one part right. of what we're doing. Oh, and we are doing it a little bit. But let me give a uh, let me get a shot across the bow to the customers. Human trafficking is a demand, but it is also an availability driven market. And so you do have to go after the customers. But how do you go after the customers in a scalable way? Well, that's really hard to do because sting operations are not scalable. Mm -hmm. So how do you really, really? You know, how do you build the nuke against the customers, the people who want to have sex with children? Expose. Well, we spent the last two years getting it figured out. And I'm not obviously not going to reveal what it is we came up with. It's incredibly simple and it will be devastatingly effective. So if there's and I guarantee you there is somebody listening to this podcast who is a customer of of a human trafficker and your number is up. When wow. we launch this program, there is no possible way you can escape it. It will literally be a matter of time. So those customers have a choice. They can continue to engage in, in those activities or they can quit. That's it. There is no in-between. And we've made it a very, very binary thing. And we're coming for them. Just like we're coming for the traffickers right now. Awesome. Amen. That's awesome, Nick. Get me all fired up. Well, well, Nick, uh, thank you so much for sharing all those stories with us. 
Where can people go to help you? Where can people go to support, to follow, to pay attention, to jump on board? What? Just tell us right now. So we're on all the social media platforms at Deliver Fund. You can find me personally at Deliver Fund Nick. That's N-I-C. And how can people help? It's real simple. You can do what Jeremy and I did. Uh, I used to have a really cool gun collection, sold every single one. Uh, that was the seed money for Deliver Fund, sold my car, downsized my house, drained my retirement account, full commitment. Jeremy Mayhew did exactly the same thing. Uh, I mean, and, and we, when we first started doing this, we were literally scraping by. Uh, but look at where we are now and look at the, look at the impact. So you can do that level of dedication, uh, and join deliver fund. We're happy to have you, uh, assuming you make it through our tryout. We get people who email us all the time. Oh, Hey, I'm the, I've been, I, not only was I Delta force, I was dev grew and the CIA <laughs> and a unit I can't talk about. And I've got crazy, um, you know, sniper skills and cyber skills. Yeah. Like, okay, great. Prove it. Yeah. And, and so we have a selection process. We have a tryout. Um, and otherwise, if, if you can't engage in the fight against human trafficking at that level and that level of commitment, which few people can, I get it. The best way to help us is to donate, right? $5 helps us find a burner phone for a, for a trafficker. That's about what it costs us. But some of these traffickers have hundreds of burner phones. Wow. Uh, you know, we started raising money when Jeremy and I were all tapped out of money. Uh, you right. know, we, we had nothing left <laughs> and we were like, okay, we, we gotta, we gotta figure out something better here. This isn't working. Uh, tuna fish is getting my lead levels up. So, uh, <laughs> so, so we started, we started raising money. And what we found was that the more resources we could throw at this, actually the lower the cost, it, it the, the less it costs to actually find these traffickers where it was me. Then it was me and this guy named George, former Delta Force guy, speaks 14 languages and has a master's in computer science, wow. right? And this is what he does all day. Uh, that guy actually hunted a trafficker for 18 months. That dude is currently uh, currently in prison. Wow. Uh, so, so we've got the people, we've got the technologies, we've got the skills, we've got to fund it at scale. And we've been incredibly blessed, but we're nowhere there. We're nowhere near where we need to be we're we're getting we're getting some serious momentum but we need to keep that fire stoked so that train can continue to to build momentum so we can bring on more and more these highly trained analysts who can collect this information put it in the hands of law enforcement so they can go out and crush evil amen all right my brother god bless you and And what it is you and your whole team are doing. Thank you for sharing your personal story, stories, I should say. We really appreciate you opening up about your childhood. Um, That's going to help out a lot of people, too. Um, And thank you for just being so dedicated to this massive problem that is just destroying lives on an epic in an epidemic proportion so god bless you brother thank you thank you guys god bless you and uh thanks a lot for having me on amen take care all right all right marcus nick mckinley brother i mean once again a dude 
that has an incredible background. He's really put the work in around the world and now has decided, bro, I'm going to do it here in America. I'm going to go after the worst people in the world and and just hunt them down. What drives people to, to live in that pre- perpetual state of evil, bro? Chasing it, you know? Spent oh, his whole I mean, life. that sole drive that drove him into everything else that he did. I mean, it, it's the, it's kind of that what's what's inside of us. And I, he was talking about, you know, he lost me when he said he gave up his TV. I was like, oh. It's been- <laughs> <laughs> you would have rang out on like, that yeah. one. I was like, how do you, how do you talk? Moving? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no he doesn't talk movies. <laughs> no, he don't. said uh, the beloved word. He said, and our beloved, he said, who? Who's Ryan Reynolds? Now, Ryan, again, we're sorry he said that. We he meant no disrespect. He spent, no, please, please don't let that affect you. Please come on the show. All right. But still. So, I mean, he was talking about giving up uh, rock climbing and everything. And jumping. And, but you could tell he's normally when, when we have to do that, you can tell there's a p- piece of us missing, right? Yeah. There's something that just didn't fill that void. Well, everything that he's doing now has replaced that adrenaline rush that he had to go do to, when he was rock climbing and jumping. I mean, yeah. in it all the time. Well, I don't know about you, Wizard, but when he talked about giving it all up, right? And what I love and the thing that just like just lit my my head on fire, lit my heart on fire, burning the ships, right? Burning the boats. Cortez, yeah. Yeah. And man, we've seen so many guests come on and describe moving into that next phase of their life into that next never quit mentality by doing that they give everything yeah, up to jump it's kind of funny in. because there's two ways to get into that right you lose everything and you're like oh, it's all or nothing into this one or, or you, you do it intentionally and you give it up what yeah probably losing it all probably hurt a lot worse than giving it away it's just a different kind of an emotion you're cutting the ties with it no i think it's the same kind of emotion it is is it it's the same thing that they coming from different ways that spark the same (sighs) direction yeah it forces you into the same situation but i think actually the voluntary one takes more dedication just because you are deciding to put yourself in that situation as opposed to finding yourself in a situation with nothing to lose and therefore you, you can have to go forward from that point. So I give him even more credit for that. I mean, oh, that, and that is a powerful technique. If you have lost everything and, got, and are looking for that, it's, I mean, there's people who give it away to, to get into that, into that path. So we're all, I guess you're kind of all searching for that one thing that keeps that, that blue flame burning yeah. inside of us, right? No, and, you're, and I think you're right. And I, what I hear so often is people are inspired. They have the trigger. It's like, man, it moves them. It, it, you know, we hear it all the time with our fans writing in, the, our listeners writing in, that the show inspires them. It, it elicits that primal core, emotional core. But then it's like, who takes that and goes the next step? Who takes it and goes on to create the next situation where there, there, there's no question about it? They're going to be faced with a never quit moment, right? Yeah, it's one. It's one. It's one thing to be inspired and feel motivated, and, and it's another to have the balls to take a step. You know what I mean? And start totally, moving forward. Totally, there's a big difference there. But like with with what Nick's talking about, he he had this this 
profound face-to-face truth that there's nobody addressing this. And these people are doing this around the world daily, and they're preying on children, right? And in many cultures, it's acceptable. So how are you going to go after it? Well, you have to go out with that just just complete drive and conviction, giving everything, sacrificing everything he had for the cause. Yeah, but that's the beauty of, I say fortunate him. It is hard for a person to, to be confronted with such an obvious, fulfilling purpose in their life. A lot of people have a very hard time finding that. And he was fortunate enough to be confronted by, here is a massive problem, and I have the tools to fix this. Therefore, I have the opportunity to fulfill purpose in my life. I say fortunate him for, for finding guy. that. Yeah, keep being a team Few guy. people have this. Hold on. Let's back up, though. That's why I wanted to get to the beginning. I wanted to understand, was this something, did that? But just like what Leo talked about earlier, man, it's, it's a series, a sequence of events that started with his parents dying, going to foster care, finding these parents, being introduced to God, becoming an eagle step. And it was this gradual path that God drove him till, till finally, I mean, it, it was, it was air force soft that he became agency. He was working with that one group. That's badass. They're doing. St- and then, so my point is to the people listening, man, start the journey. And you may not discover that blue flame initially, but get out there and go pursue, you know, with with almost a sinful drive to the sense of service or servitude to discover ultimately what's your main purpose in. Because you're not going to do it by just combating the never quit moment itself. It's what happens after that, I think. You have to be aware. It, it's an opportunity. Thing. Remember what Chris Cassidy said, and that we'd ask him, you know, how are these ultra achievers? the way they are, and I think his answer was partly the fact that they're just aware and open to opportunities when they present themselves, and they have the, you know, the courage and, I guess, the passion or the desire to pursue them when, they're, when they are confronted with them. Yeah. And I think that can occur in anyone's life, regardless of whether you're doing extremely you know, dramatic movie movie quality type uh, uh, events and activities, or if it's something much simpler but gives you that purpose in life, I think people just need to be open and aware of these opportunities coming to them, right? Yep. And, and recognize them as such. Because otherwise, everything just passes you by. What do you think, big guy? Well, you tell you really signed up for service because there's absolutely no way you can not say that those are bad people. Nope. As, as a true bad guy, as a true bandit, right? Yep. He I said, agree. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. What's interesting is, is his commentary about Homeland saying, this is, let's take, let's broaden our search or approach to, and keep it international. When yet we have this massive problem going on here, man, that was a little disheartening. And I, and I hope, I hope and pray that, you know, they'll, they'll fix themselves. Obviously on the municipality level, they're the ones that are getting the phone calls from the moms and the dads that are, their kids are missing. They're, yeah. they're, you know, and I come so, in the denominator factor, they have the money. 
Yeah, Except, you're right. What are they all? What all of that have in common? All everybody has anything to do is that is the money part, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Give or take, snatch that out of there. And I do love that about his organization because he's enabling the most effective actors in that space to take action. Yeah, he's simply giving those beautiful. with the tool. I mean, this is where the this is where these police officers live. They know these cities, these areas. They're the ones that need it. As long as they have the training and tools, then they can apply them. And I think, and also his organization is so scalable. Yeah, that's why I'm very impressed with Deliver Fund. Amen. Me too. All right. If, if, <laughs> I just, I can't even wrap my mind around like, the intensity of this. Man, right? I wore me out. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I looked over at you. I was about ready to rig out too. I was like, damn, man. Holy, if this is your first TNQ podcast, God bless you. Welcome to the team because that was some intensity. There's a whole lot more where that came from. Uh, and, and as a result of our incredible following, our credible teammates, our listeners who keep coming back for more, man, there are tons of shows that can deliver that type of intensity. If you want to know more about who we are and what our mission is, just go visit our website at tnqpodcast.com. That's tnqpodcast.com, where you can download or listen to all of our shows, read about it. Uh, There's a bunch of other stuff. You can also find the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, just search podcasts, go in the little search magnified glass, type in team, will be the first ones that pop up there. Team never quit. Uh, You can go to... Uh, Castbox, uh, and we are now streaming on Spotify. We are now streaming on Spotify. I love it, man. That only took about two years, but yeah, gee, that was easy. <laughs> We're there. Every no, but hey, thanks to our our, our partner Westwood. Westwood One, baby, and thank you so much for for that, man. They're helping us in all kinds of ways. Uh, you can also, uh, follow us, uh, if you want, wait a minute, I'm forgetting the all important thing, merchandise, merchandise. (laughs) Hey man, if you want to look cool, go get yourself a TNQP hat. Go get yourself a TNQP shirt, man. Hell, go get yourself, go to the teamneverquit.com. Get that, get a TNQ shirt. Go check out Speakers Bureaus. Go check out Patriot Tour. Go check it all out. And if you want to follow us, uh, you can visit us all on social media at uh, the show at TNQ Podcast or at Team Never Quit or Mr. Never Quit himself at Marcus Luttrell. We've got the Wizard at the Wizard TNQ and me at Team Frog Logic. Now, my favorite place about the website website is our our listeners that have been so courageous to write their greatest never quit stories and shared it with the world to build this incredible catalog of stories all of which have valuable information to anybody who stops for just a minute to read these stories all right this is from damien i want to start by saying thank you for your service and thank you for this podcast. It's truly an inspiration 
and has helped me get through things that I've been dealing with since I was young. My never quit story started when I was about five years old. My birth parents were not really around. My father, if that's what you want to call him, decided that drugs, sex, and money were more important than me and my mother were more important than me. And my mother did the same thing, but she left when I was fairly young. They've injected me and my brother with heroin and meth and whatever they could get their hands on. Now, what per- Now, what parent would do that to a child? I guess that was the new normal. I really didn't know why she left or why she did what she did. And to this day, I still don't know why. It's something that has always bugged me. But at the time, I didn't really understand. I mean, how could I? I was five years old. Anyway, that forced me to live with my grandmother for a while. And it wasn't easy. It was a little better than being with my parents, but far from what a child deserves. I was beaten and abused, and I often felt like it was my fault. I felt like I couldn't do anything right, and no matter how hard I tried, it wasn't good enough. I even went to another relative, and it was better. I wasn't abused, beaten, or sexually assaulted, but it still wasn't my parents. I had to change schools, and I was often made fun of for being different. I have some mental problems as a result of the abuse and neglect. Eventually, my parents were arrested and sent to prison. I vividly remember the cops busting down the doors and the police officers rushing in and throwing them to the ground while my brother and I screamed. When they got arrested, I was taken and sent into foster care with my brother. When we got there, we were split up because we had some mental problems. I was doing better, and since he was worse, they wouldn't allow us to be together. When I got to foster care, though, it became worse. From the time I was five years old until about seven, I was in foster care, and it was the worst experience of my life. I bounced around from home to home, 73 to be exact, and at each and every one, I was physically abused and sexually abused. At times, I was beat with anything they could get their hands on, and for no reason. This ultimately led me to fight with the other kids at the homes, and who could blame me? It was a day-to-day struggle, and I often felt like killing myself just to get out of those situations. Remind you, I was seven years old. During all of this, there was a family that I was sent to. I won't mention their names, but it was the family that ultimately adopted me. When I was sent there, I didn't think anything would be different because I was in countless other homes and nothing had ever changed. I ended up being very afraid and nervous and just waiting for the beating or the sexual molestation or whatever they would do to me, but it would never happen. They were the best people I had ever met in my entire life. At this time, they had six kids, four biological and two adopted. My adoptive father was on the board of the juvenile court system, and that's how he found me. I never really asked him how it came about or the particulars 
and it honestly never really occurred to me. I was just happy to have a loving family and people who actually supported me. My never quit story continues even now that I'm older and married. It's a constant struggle to keep my thoughts positive and be able to focus on the task at hand. What helps me is my wife and family. She knows what happened to me and has accepted me for who I am. Women have special abilities to pull us men out of dark times, and I'm constantly reminded of that. She pushes me and motivates me to keep pushing on regardless of the problems and adversities I'm facing. I don't expect this story to be read or anything. I just want people to know that if you keep pushing forward, no matter what, you'll get through it. It's all about the mindset. My father told me that you can do anything you put your mind to, and that's 100% true. I know for a fact, and I have experienced and have experienced it. He also told me that if you're going through hell, keep on going through hell, and that's exactly how I live my life. No matter what life throws at me, I always keep going. Thank you for taking your time to read this. Oh, and I almost forgot, hoo-ya. Damien, I don't even know what to say, brother. The fact that you had the courage to share that with with our listeners and mm-hmm. and with our readers, man, God bless you, brother. I, I pray that you keep getting the help you need from your parents and from your family and from your wife, and that you just keep on keeping on, brother. I mean, God bless you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I also want to thank Nick, man. You are fighting the good fight, sir. You are walking that righteous path. And without you, man, the world would be suffering a whole lot more, you and your team. I want to thank my folks, my family. I want to thank God. I want to thank John. I want to thank my my kids. I want to thank God. I want to thank Christ. And I want to thank you all for doing this show with me. I, I really believe we're we're having an impact and we're, we're making the world a better place. Thank That's you. for sure. Well, thank the good Lord for letting us do this, and the Holy Family, and my family for letting us do this. I love you, honey, more than you even know, right? And guys, walk you out, man, Damien, if you're lucky enough to have a lot of life to live, man, we we get into some bad spots and some jams, and normally it happens after we're around a good stuff, and then we're making a shift, or it gets too good that we fall down in one of those cycles. And a lot of people wait till they're in their 20s or 30s to do that, and uh, to experience the kind of hell that you had to go through when you were young. And it's funny how that works out sometimes, I mean, whether you get shoved into it or where you do it willingly. We're all going to have to suffer during our time here in some capacity so you can measure your good times. And knowing what you went through at that young age and you took it, that's something you can take. It's not something that you have to take every day and you've systematically worked your way out of that and just know how you know how strong you are. Yeah, I mean, writing letters one thing, <clears throat> but one those of us who've been down down in those trenches and hung out for a little while, it uh, gives you a good taste on what, what it's like when you get out of it, right? And every bad road you go down, I was thinking about this, how to explain this the other day, was it's kind of like a bad breakup. 
I mean, you get in a relationship with, with, with a woman uh, that you're supposed to only have fun with for about nine to 11 days, you know, it's that kind of volatile relationship. The longer you spend with them, the more you fall in love. And then when you break up with something that you fall in love with and you're uh, with drugs and stuff, if you, when your body does, like breaking up with a woman, man, you're going to always remember her. And then after a while, you're only going to remember the good times you had with her. So some, you know, might invite her back, right? Or <laughs> you can learn your lesson say, <laughs> hey, look, man, I had a good time with you, but uh, that was then and this is now, right? You could go put that on somebody else. I'll always remember the good times and the bad times, but just like with anything you get yourself into, once the body becomes attached, the mind becomes attached to it, and you try to get rid of it, nine to 11 days, you're probably going to suffer, right? And then after that, you just kind of systematically throw your attention and your love onto something else and always something else. And as you hmm. go through life, like say that everybody's a stone. They'll either sharpen you, uh, dull you out, or polish you. That's what our ladies do. So, um, and every day is a test. Every day is a test, man. It's just, and when you wake up, start with the basics, and hopefully at the end of the day, you you you're right at where you left off the day before. If not, then you may be skipping some steps. If you had a hard time, you're getting ahead of yourself. And um, so, you know, thank you guys so much for bringing us back and and letting us hear these stories. And Damien, and thank you again for writing in. Uh, no, I'm Never quit.